0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to A Perpetual Feast here on the Circe Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern, a producer here at the Circe Podcast Network, and before we kick it over to the show with Wes Callahan and Andrew Kern, I just need to say a quick word from our sponsor. Roman Roads Media is a publisher of Classical Christian Curriculum, designed for homeschoolers and homeschool co-ops, and they're back this year with a giveaway for Cersei Podcast listeners. Each episode of Perpetual Feast, they're going to be giving away one of the 16 units from Wes Callahan's old western culture series a high school video course that guides you through the great books of western civ complete with workbooks discussion questions and readers west callahan draws from decades of teaching experience as he tells the story of western civilization integrating history literature theology politics philosophy and so much more here's how to enter this giveaway when this episode is posted on our facebook page on the Cersei facebook page leave a comment saying which unit of the old western culture you would choose if you win One of the comments will be drawn at random three days after the episode is posted. To browse the available titles in the Old Western Culture series, please visit www.romanroadsmedia.com. So thanks to our good friends over at Roman Roads Media for sponsoring this season of A Perpetual Feast, uh, especially with Wes Callahan being one of the co-stars of this show. We are really honored to continue partnering with Roman Roads and with Wes Callahan to make great content for you. We hope you really enjoy this season. Uh, So without further ado, I'll kick it over to Andrew Kern and Wes Callahan and their ongoing conversation of the works of Homer. Enjoy.
1: So the Trojans kept watch, but the Achaeans were possessed by an awesome panic, the fellow of icy terror. All their best men were assailed by an unendurable grief. As two winds whip up the deep sea, flush with fish, winds of the north and west, a gale from Thrace tearing in suddenly, and at once the dark wave swells and crests, strewing much seaweed along the water's edge... "'just so the Achaean spirit was shredded in their breasts. "'The son of Atreus, heart-stricken with great sorrow, "'went to Fro, commanding the clear-voiced heralds, "'Call every man by name to the place of assembly, "'but not to shout names aloud. "'And himself went to work among the foremost. "'So they sat in assembly, much troubled, "'and Agamemnon stood up shedding tears, like a blackwater spring that pours down some sheer rock face its dark cascade. Just so, heavily sighing, he addressed the Argives in these words. My friends, you leaders and lords of the Argives, Zeus, great son of Kronos, has snared me in a vile deception. Harsh God, who once promised me, gave his nod to it, that I'd not return home until I'd sack strong-walled Now he's thought up this mean trick, commands me to go back in dishonor to Argos when I've lost so many men. This, I suppose, is almighty Zeus's idea of a joke. He who's brought down the high ramparts of so many cities and will bring down still more since his is the greatest power. Come then, let us all agree to do as I declare. Let us flee in our ships, sail back to our own country. For now, we'll never capture Troy of the wide ways. Andrew? Hey, Wes, how are you?
2: I'm doing well. How are you? Good. What, 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 are you, what are you reading, Andrew? You may have heard of this book. Yeah? What book is it? The Iliad. Oh, you know, I have heard of it. Book nine. Book nine. And what's going on there? What's happening in the passage you just read? Something about people heart-stricken with sorrow and Zeus catching them in bitter futility and desiring to leave. What's going on?
1: Well, it's the Greek camp, and Agamemnon is a general. So, of course, he's coming up with a way to flee. Out on the mm. out on the plain, at the end of Book 8, a thousand fires were alight in the plain, and by each one, fifty men were gathered in the glow of the blazing fire, while their horses, munching away at white barley and spelt, stood by their chariots, awaiting the bright throne dawn. So the Trojans were really happy and peaceful campfires oh, yes. going on. They kept watch, but the Achaeans, on the other hand, were possessed by an awesome panic. So what's happened is at the end of book eight, the Trojans are about to break through the Greek camp. Mm -hmm. But the the gods have stopped the war for the night. And the Greeks now are trying to decide what to do. This war has been renewed after really probably you could almost say begun in terms of direct confrontation after 10 years. And the Greeks attacked and they thought this will be easy, like the civil war, kind of. And it wasn't. So now they've been driven back to their camp behind their walls. The Trojans are out on the plain, and the Greeks are saying, or well, and Agamemnon is saying, what are we going to do? And, and just like the day before, his plan is let's leave. Mm.
2: Yeah. And right after that, or just after where you uh, left off, uh, doesn't, um, doesn't Diomedes speak up and object let me just find my book. Ah, there it is. <laughs> it fell right open to the place. Of course <laughs> I helped that I had a book. Right there. <laughs> yeah. Diomedes speaks up and, and, and responds. <clears throat> and, uh, that, uh uh, forgive me, let me just read a few lines here because I was struck as I was listening to what you were saying and then noticing how Diomedes responds. He says, Son of Atreus, I will be the first to fight with your folly, as is my right, Lord, in this assembly. Then do not be angered. I was the first of the Danaans whose valor you slighted and said I was unwarlike and without courage. The young men of the Argives know all these things, and the elders know it. The son of devious, devising Cronos has given you gifts in two ways. With the scepter, he gave you honor above all, but he did not give you a heart. And of all power, this is the greatest.
1: Hmm. Wow. I've
2: I've been intrigued by that passage right there, those lines right there, for a long time. The son of Cronos, Zeus, has given you Agamemnon, Gifts in two ways. With the scepter, he gave you honor, but he did not give you a heart. You have the Peter Green translation, right? I do. Yeah. Would you read, read read those lines there? How does he say it?
1: Okay. He says, you received a double-edged gift from the son of Kronos, devious schemer. With the scepter, he granted you honor above all others, yet courage, the highest power, he did not give you.
2: Hm Hmm. Hmm. That's an interesting description of Agamemnon who's such a central figure in the story isn't it He has the honor Absolutely. of a great king with the scepter he gave you honor but he gave did not give you courage uh, did not give you a heart as Lattimore says it gave you no heart yeah.
1: That's the dynamic of the book isn't it we're, we're looking at Achilles who has who has no honor but great heart you might say because his honor has been taken away Yeah but Agamemnon has great honor but, but no heart hurt. It seems here. Now, I mean, during we're talking about section two today, by the way, for those who are just listening in, this is the perpetual feast. And this is episode six, during which we're talking about section two of the Iliad, books nine through 15. And what I was about to say is that in 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 these books, Agamemnon does have his what's called an or Aristea. He does have his moment of glory. So he's not totally heartless. But on these two consecutive days, he has proposed to the Greeks that they go home. Meanwhile, Achilles has withdrawn from the battle, but not because he lacks courage, precisely because he has so much courage that he can even stand up to his own people, some would say. But he doesn't have honor because his honor was taken away.
2: That's interesting. Um, There's uh, some more minor figures uh, well, still fairly important to the story, could be characterized in a similar way, uh, like Paris. Uh, Paris in Book Six, when uh, Hector goes back into the city, Paris is already there. He was taken there by Aphrodite in Book Four when the truce is broken. So Paris has been hanging out, and you know, in his suite back in, in Troy. Hector goes back and finds him, and then uh, and then we have this. We 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 see a, a real strong contrast drawn between Hector and Paris in Book Six. Uh, but at the end of Book Six, the both of them leave Troy together, and they go back out into the plain to fight. But Hector is burdened with the weight of responsibility and so on, having just been with his mother and and Helen and his wife and, and his son. Uh, and Paris is uh, eagerly going running back out, but he's compared by Homer to a to a well-fed horse fresh from his stall, bouncing on, Come on, brothers, go fight. Isn't this a good day for fighting? Paris isn't uh, you know, he's he's, <clears throat> he's been whisked back to Troy and he's been hanging out in Troy, but not because he's a coward. He just doesn't have um, he's, he's like, Ag, he's like Agamemnon there. Neither of them are afraid to fight. Like you said, Agamemnon is going to have an air stay in book 11. He's um. going to be in the lead for a bit. So he's no, he's no coward, um, uh, in battle, but there's another way in which he doesn't have, uh, the heart, the, um, the gumption, the stick the will to, 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 to press on. He quickly gives up. Um, so whatever heart represents here, um, uh, is, is reflected in Paris and some other people too, but but in Agamemnon, for him not to have that, he's the leader, and like you said, that's a that, that's a really nice nice contrast. I like the way you flipped him and in, in Achilles, he has no he has honor but no heart. Achilles is all heart but no honor. Hmm. But in but 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 you but as you as you mentioned, this is the beginning of book of section two. We talked about section one and saw the build up. Now we're at the beginning of section two, and we and perhaps we can expect to see more of this develop.
1: Well, I'm especially, glad you brought in. Oh, forgive no, me. Go no, ahead.
2: I was just going to especially the theme of the theme of Achilles' loss of honor and how that's driving this story. But what what were you about to say?
1: Well, that that now I'm so glad you mentioned Book 11 and, and Agamemnon having his Aristea there because it's what Homer so skillfully does is he prepares us for what's coming later, and what's coming later is an enormous outburst of, of, uh, of glory of, Ach- of yeah. Achilles demanding glory of being on the battlefield and manifesting his, his military glory, which is the, yeah. that's what the Aristea is. But in preparing us for that, Homer gives us all these foreshadowings in other people. So back in book four, I think it was or book five Diomedes, whom you just mentioned, he has his Aristea. He has his moment of glory. Is it that, is it that far back where he already attacks Aphrodite? Yeah. He, he actually attacks a goddess. And this is, yeah. this is amazing, right? This is wow. What a great hero <laughs> that he would do Correct. that. He's, he's got a lot of courage. Um, so we see Diomedes and he kills a lot of people on the battlefield. And, and then as we get into books 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, um, we're out on the battlefield and one after another of the Greek heroes or a Trojan hero has his moment of glory. Hector's going to kind of reach the pinnacle of his glory. And in a way, this section that we're on now, section two, nine through 15, books, nine through 15, is is um, where Homer just puts out for display one person after another, all of which are saying, these are really great people. And yeah, yet yeah. they're going to pale in comparison to what follows. Yeah. But it's launched. You just mentioned it's the beginning of of section two. It's launched by non-action. Books nine and ten. Um, I guess you could say book ten is is an Odyssean Aristea. But but books nine and ten are at night. There there's no action on the battlefield, and so in book nine, um, I talk. I was reading about Agamemnon and his his um, desire to retreat. Mm-hmm we've got a problem here. Right. And, and I'm, I'm going to contend. And if we get a chance today, I'm going to contend that every single book in the Iliad is structured on a, on a wonderful little pattern that is simple to do. And Homer does it um, with an incredible complexity, sort of like the way, you know, a sonata always has um, theme, anti-theme resolution. Right. And, and, but, but everybody who makes this sonata does it with great complexity. Homer has a way in all 24 books of presenting early on in the book, most of the time, there's a problem or an issue and a decision is made. Then that decision leads to an action and then that action leads to an aftermath and the aftermath, and I'm getting this particularly spelled out by Bruce Hayden in his book, Homer's Cosmic Fabrication. Um, I was sitting there looking at the Iliad, noticing that there, there seems to be all these speeches and debates going on all the time, more, more even than battle. Um, People are debating about things. They're making decisions about the future or the past. I was fascinated by that because I was looking at it in light of, of Aristotle, of rhetoric, sorry. And, and that's a big deal in book nine. So forgive me for taking in too many threads in this one sentence. What I'm trying to say is this. In each book, and we can show this in 9 through 15, There's the book begins with a problem situation where a decision is made. Then there's an action that implements that decision. And then there's an aftermath that brings the book to a state of plot rest. Not necessarily characters resting, but the plot rests. And I think the Alexandrians got that. That's why they divided the books where they did. Okay,
2: so all of that... Would you call this a dynastic structure within each book?
1: Well... I don't know about that, but this but this is what I do think is and, and, and Haydn goes into this too. It seems like there's some chiastic structure um, in each section, so that in, in we talked about this a bit at least in the last session, where book one goes with book eight, two with seven, three with six and four and five go together. In the second section, um, nine and fifteen are very chiastic, so 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 are, they echo each other a lot. Um, I don't think you have the clean chiasm of it going 9 fifteen, 10, 14, eleven, 12, and then 13 sitting in the middle and And Haydn persuaded me on this. so if I keep referring to him, I hope you'll all just recognize it's an act of, of uh, appreciation to what he's done because it's really impressive. Um, but But nine and fifteen echo each other, but he he suggests that nine, ten, and eleven all are echoed in 15. And 12, 13, and 14 are kind of the middle section. And, and, and that's, that's fascinating to me. Um, when we look at 9, 10, and 11, in 9 we're looking at what's called the embassy to Achilles. And it's a story of its own. In 10, we're looking at Odysseus and Diomedes going into the Trojan camp and spying. It's, they call it the spy mission typically. And some people even argue that that doesn't belong in the Iliad. I, I completely disagree Um, but some people say that but then in 11 the next day begins and we launch into the battles of the next day 12 13 and 14 those books they call this the long day because because from book what is it book 11 through book is it 18 or 19 is all one day
2: yeah 18
1: and it's tons of of people killing each other, right? Peter Lightheart called the, called his, um, some, his title, I think of his Iliad guide was, um, fighters killing, fighters killed. Is that right? Um, <laughs> I mean, that's what, and he took that phrase from, from Homer. That's what's going on. Fighters killing, fighters killed. Um, so we're, we're really going to see that multiple heroes, multiple Aristeas in books 11 through 14, but in 15, we're going to get to the end of the day. And you mentioned last time how how um Patroclus goes somewhere is it book 11 or 12 he goes to Nestor I think right?
2: It's book 11, yeah. At the end of book 11 he goes to Nestor, right?
1: And then he uh-huh. then he goes to a wounded warrior around 14. And we don't see him again until sixteen.
2: Well, actually, it's at, 15, at the end of eleven. 15. It's even at the end of eleven. He goes to the wounded warrior, and then he drops out from eleven till sixteen. Doesn't show up again from eleven right. to sixteen. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now, it, some of our readers might be wearing out on our discussion about structure. Might want to hear the story. So maybe it would be a good idea if we looked at 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 books nine through fifteen really, really briefly, and sort of looked at what what's the what's the problem situation, the decision and the action that takes place in each book. And I'm going to I've been reading Haydn and I don't think you have. So uh, it's maybe unfair for me to to jump into that structure. And since I like being not fair, I'm going to use this to ask you really hard questions to see if you really know this book. OK, so. If you look if you look at book nine, Wes, what would you say is the problem that is being dealt with? Uh,
2: the fact that the Achaeans are losing. Zeus is keeping his That's promise. That's a pretty good summary. Zeus, yeah. Zeus is keeping his promise to, uh, to Achilles.
1: <clears throat> Excellent. That's it, isn't it? And so yeah. they call a council or they have another council. And that was my point earlier that when these problems arise, they keep having debates. Yeah. So in book nine, they have this camp. They have this debate. And I think it was Nestor who gives the sort of persuasive speech to to do something. And what what does Nestor say they should do? Do you remember?
2: Well, he tells them they need to go to Achilles and resolve this thing.
1: And what decision do they all make
2: <laughs> to do that? They they ask Agamemnon. Okay, good. They ask Agamemnon to to, uh, to make an offer of reconciliation, and he does. So he gives this um, the speech that he then makes is in response to their request. Yeah.
1: Basically, they say to Agamemnon, OK, you jerk, humble yourself before Achilles, absolutely humiliate yourself, give him a thousand times more than you were going to before. Right. And Agamemnon says, OK. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pretty, pretty impressive moment from one perspective for Agamemnon. It's, yeah. it's pretty impressive how much he's willing to give up here. Very honorable, you might say. Yeah. OK, so then what's the action that follows the decision?
2: Well, they make the offer of reconciliation to Achilles and he rejects it. That's the action.
1: But how do they make the offer? Well, the, I would say the action is, is the, the, okay, if the decision, is to the, decision, offer the decision is to offer reconciliation, what's the action?
2: Yeah, so Agamemnon uh, gives a long speech in which he offers, uh, the, um, uh, makes the offer of restitution. And then Odysseus carries this message and repeats it uh, verbatim with a very significant omission. But he repeats it verbatim to Achilles, uh-huh. give um, uh, um, Telling him all the things that, that Agamemnon has offered, uh, if he will if he will come back and fight.
1: Yeah. Well, you just made me really depressed.
2: <laughs> Why is that? The, the thing, well,
1: because I'm sitting here looking at my book, book nine, and I'm thinking, we're we're talking about books nine through fifteen, which is seven books, and we have about a half hour. <laughs> And all I want to do now is read, 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 read. I mean, there's so many great lines in this book.
2: half hour already.
1: I know it. I know it.
2: You creep. <laughs> I feel my job is done here. My work is done. <laughs>
1: yeah. And then not only that, but then you go dropping this hint. You go dropping this hint that Odysseus leaves something out, which we, of course, can't explore because it would be too detailed. Sorry, listeners, you're going to have to read book nine because I'm going to let me just say this. I have, I have heard it said that books 16 through 24 of the Iliad are the most perfect sustained poetry ever written by a human being. Hmm. In other words, that, that length. And and I'm inclined to believe that that section, I don't know Greek, but that section seems almost flawless to me. But if there's something that can compare with that, it's going to be book nine. I mean, this, this book is incredible and I wish we could go into it, but I'll drop one hint for people who want to that. Agamemnon does agree, and as as Wes you said, they send three people, and Odysseus gives one speech. Who else gives a speech?
2: Well, then uh, uh, his uh, his friend uh, Phoenix, who's um <clears throat> uh, who's an old friend of the family, uh, and Aias, uh, who's a fellow warrior. So Phoenix uh, gives a speech, uh, um, and Aias gives a speech. These speeches are much shorter, of course. Um, Odysseus is the one that carries the burden of what Agamemnon said. Uh, Phoenix and Ias uh, have their own message, uh, you know, um, appealing to family, uh, to the family relations of the past, appealing to, to a fellow warriorly, warriorly feeling, um, and uh, but of course, <clears throat> um, to no avail. I
1: would challenge that, but um, there's there's well, we can't though we can't fight about it now. We don't have time, but. But what's Martin Cothran suggests, and I, and I think he derives this from the tradition that maybe from even Aristotle, that those three speeches represent the three different modes of persuasion. In other words, if you're trying to persuade another person, there's three things you need to do. You need to communicate a message. In Greek, that would be the logos. You need to appeal to the emotions of the person because that's part of his humanity. And that would be, in Greek, pathos. And you also need to have the character that sustains or accords with the message and that's ethos. And so what we have is, is Odysseus is Logos delivering the message. Um, um, Phoenix is pathos appealing to warriorly feeling and kindred feeling and, you know, back, you know, old remembering old times. And then IAS or Ajax is is the ethos of a warrior. And it's so fascinating because Ajax hardly says anything. He basically says, okay, if you're going to be like this, I'm out of here. I don't really care. But
2: that... But, but that, of course, is tremendous ethos.
1: Right? Right? And and that moves Achilles. And and while he doesn't enter the battle, I do think he moves because at the beginning of Book 9, Achilles was, was saying, I'm leaving in the morning. I'm sailing home. By the end of Book 9, they have persuaded him to stay and... And in fact, it's not going to be very long from now that he's going to agree to send Patroclus into battle.
2: Uh... I, yeah I, um, I, I like what you're saying about the uh, about the three modes of persuasion I think that fits nicely um, I'm I'm a little uh, I'm a little flummoxed as, as as to why you object when I say uh, their messages were all failures but I think th- you can only say that if you change the definition of what success would have been here in book nine if the point of uh, if, the, if the point of the of, of the uh, of the embassy is to get Achilles back into battle which is what Agamemnon wants then clearly uh, there' a, it's a failure uh, but if the if the point is to grab gradually change his mind at least he's going to stay and so on um yeah there's some success success there but that's not what they went there for that's not what agamemnon wanted they don't have time
1: yeah i'll grant you the that the
2: trojans are camped on the plane right outside when morning dawns the Achaeans are going to be toast if something doesn't happen right now tonight
1: yes i, I will grant you that it's it's certainly not the success that they were hoping for
2: Wow, well, I, I like it when I, I like it when you grant me concessions it's they
1: don't they don't persuade him to enter the battle right they don't have a total success i guess what i'm suggesting is they're somewhere in the middle they don't have a total failure either no
2: andrew it's an abject failure agamemnon wants him back offers a huge offer restitution achilles turns it down this is total failure
1: you're being unkind to me (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's one of the modes of persuasion oh
1: okay well i i think your ethos <laughs> is just, definitely negative here well
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's because i talk too much i should be like i is
1: well i'm looking at the green charts and i think i've been talking more than you so i i think i think <laughs> you you've really you really affected me deeply on the pathos level and i don't think i can carry on this conversation anymore okay
2: Okay <laughs> well here 's a, here's a handkerchief however andrew if we if we 're going to talk more about uh, the rest of section two, we 'll have to move on beyond book nine, so <laughs> what would you like to do at this point
1: well, since i 'm now humbled and humiliated i 'll say let's let's <laughs> since since what we 're arguing is that the sections begin and end with a decision by Achilles or a decision by Zeus. Let's take a look at book 15. Now, we have to skip book 10, which is the spy mission. Uh, people should definitely read that. And we have, to, we have to skip 11 through 14 too, which is lots and lots of blood and guts. And I know everybody wants to hear about that. But let's take a look at book 15. After quite a bit of blood and guts, after a lot of fighting, what happens in book 15?
2: Well, I mean... My, what, we, um, before you finish that thought, because I want to hear what you're about to say. But I mean, we could we could we could add a little bit more to just. Uh, there's a lot of blood and guts because well, that's true. But it, but there's but there's a but there's a um, there's a trajectory here, or there's a there's a movement in um, um, in eleven through fifteen uh, that's that's um, interesting in 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 view of the of the um, the trajectory of the whole book. If the whole book is. About Achilles' wrath and his consequences, and he appeals to to Zeus uh, to make the Trojans win for a while so that his honor will, will be restored and so on. Well, they make a they make an unsuccessful by by whatever measure they make an unsuccessful uh, appeal in Book Nine to get him back into battle. Uh, they succeed in some other things, but he doesn't come back to battle. So they have to face the dawn in Book Eleven without him.
1: You're just rubbing this in, aren't you? You're just rubbing my. <laughs>
2: on the moon yeah uh, so so um, in, in in 11 they go out and 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 although what Zeus what, what Zeus is should have done is kept is kept pressing the Trojans in order to keep his keep his word to Achilles, and in, in in book eleven, um, the the, the Cans come roaring out of the camp, and they actually press the Trojans back for a while because of as you mentioned the Ariste of Agamemnon and there's and Diomedes and Odysseus and these guys, but then the tide turns and the, and the, these great heroes start getting wounded, and Agamemnon, Diomedes, Odysseus, McCann, Eurypolis, they all get wounded and drop out, and then the Trojans. Uh, start um, having the upper hand again so so zeus's will in making the trojans win is is thwarted temporarily by this by this initial roar of success in book 11 but then uh, in book 12 the trojans attack the wall and they actually break into the, the can camp so it's even worse than the position at the end of book eight and the beginning of book nine mm-hmm uh, and then Zeus thinks, okay, I've done my job. And so uh, in, uh, he turns his eyes away, Homer says at the beginning of book 13, and Poseidon, his brother, who's on the Achaean side, notices that Zeus has turned his eyes away, and he takes advantage of the opportunity to get in and rally the Achaeans, and they drive the Trojans back again. And then in book 14, Hera sees what uh, uh, what Poseidon, her brother, is doing, and she's also on the side of the Achaeans. And so she keeps Zeus's attention distracted by momentarily seducing him and Uh, And so so between book 11 and book 15, there's a there's a back and forth like a like a like a tug of war with one side drawing the other and then the other side drawing. Zeus doesn't have his attention firmly fixed on keeping his promise to Achilles until uh, um, until book 15, until the beginning. He's 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 lost, lost focus.
1: That's fantastic. I'm so glad you put it that way because because that is what I was going to be getting at about book 15. It, it, that's precisely the the bridge we needed. Um in book 15 Zeus is aroused and he gives his focus back. Just as in I I was arguing in book 8, he he is He gives his attention back to it. Right. And, and here in, in 15, gives his attention back. It's going to happen again in 24 as each section ends with Zeus being aroused to attend. And it even says, it says in, um, well, let me read the very opening of 15 and here I'm reading from Lattimore, but after they had crossed back over the ditch and the sharp stakes in flight, and this is the, uh, This Ius Ius or Ajax is defending the Greek camp. It's just magnificent writing here. Um, But after they had crossed back over the ditch and the sharp stakes in flight, and many had gone down under the hands of the Danaeans, they checked about once more and stood their ground by the chariots, green for fear and terrified. So it's the opposite of book nine, where it was the, the Greeks who were green for fear and terrified in their city. Now we've got the Trojans outside on the camp by their chariots, Green for fear and terrified. But now Zeus awakened, but now Zeus wakened by Hera of the gold throne on the high places of Ida and stood suddenly upright. I love that. He stood suddenly upright and saw the Achaeans and Trojans, these driven to flight, the others harrying them in confusion, these last Argives, and which is the Greeks, and saw among them the Lord Poseidon, who wasn't supposed to be there. He saw Hector <laughs> lying in the plain, his companions sitting around him. He dazed at the heart and breathing painfully, vomiting blood, since not the weakest of the Achaeans hit him. Then the father of gods yeah. and men, seeing Hector, pitied him and looked scowling terribly at Hera. And you remember we talked earlier about the the gold chain that comes up again here, where Zeus and, right, and his, right. you know, t- it, Zeus takes control now. So he um, realizes
2: what's happened, how much he's let slip by not paying attention. Yeah, he takes control. Yeah.
1: So, and you could, I love the way he just put that. He, he, he realizes how much he'd let slip by not paying attention. Now, my conviction is if that, if there's one kind of theme word to the Iliad to practical application to the Iliad, it would be the word choice. I I believe the, the, the Iliad is about learning how to make choices and, and, and the, the, the beginning point about making a choice is paying attention and Zeus I mean, Homer's teaching us both how to pay attention and the importance of paying attention. And Zeus, kind of, you could say if you wanted to, you could at least hypothesize, Zeus blows it by not paying attention. And but then he's aroused now to pay attention and to get re-engaged. So we go through that whole back and forth on the on the earth because of the gods attending and not attending and you know working with each other. Meanwhile, Homer is achieving his purposes through Zeus and Achilles. What then happens in Book Fifteen? Well, oh, let me back up. What's the problem in Book Fifteen? If we're if we're arguing, there's problem and decision followed by action followed by, by um, what was the word I was using before? Um, Re- uh, aftermath. Okay. What What's the problem that has to be resolved in Book Fifteen?
2: Well, from 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 Zeus's perspective, the problem is things are not going at all the way that he should have had them going in order to keep his promise to Achilles. The 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 the, the problem by by the by the end of book fifteen, the problem is that the Trojans uh, have gotten uh, farther than any previous point, farther than at the end of book eight, where they camped around the uh, Achaean um, battlements, and farther than they've gotten in in uh, book twelve when they they have broken in. By the end of book fifteen. Um, They've gotten right to the ships, uh, and they're about to burn the ships. Hector actually has a hold of the stern of one of the ships, and he's calling for a torch, you know, bring me fire. Uh, And so it's it's hard to imagine how how the situation can be worse or more dire for the Achaeans now. It's hard to imagine what what more Achilles wants in terms of the suffering of the Achaeans before he's willing to go back in. Because if the ships are destroyed... All possibility Excellent. of flight is destroyed, and the Trojans have the upper hand, so it looks like the, Achille- the Achaeans will be cut down uh, and without a, an option to flee. So it's about as dark and low a point for the Achaeans um, uh, as, as possible. So with the, yeah, at the beginning of Book 15, uh, as you said, the, 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 um, uh, the Achaeans are doing quite well. By the end, the point is lower than any previous point in the book.
1: And depressingly, we're running out of time, but I've got to ask you, read, read the last, let's say, 10 lines where, who is that Ajax speaking or Hector speaking? It's Aias, it's,
2: it's, 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 it's it's it's, yeah. Read that yeah, to so, us. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so the, the, the Trojans have pressed the Achaeans back around their very ships deep inside the camp down at the shore. Uh, and uh, things are looking really desperate. And Aias, who's described all through the Iliad as a giant of a man. He's, just, just, he's mm. built like a brick barn. He's huge. You know, he's like a Goliath. Uh, he's carrying a, you know, he's, he's, he carries a gigantic shield. And here he's, he jumps on, up on the decks of the ships and he leaps from deck to deck of the ships, fending off the Trojans with this gigantic sea pike that's described as like 22 feet long. This is just monstrous, or longer, thirty-three feet. I think it's seventeen cubits or something. It's like a telephone. He's got a sharpened telephone pole. Uh, he's a huge oh, man. man, and as he's jumping from deck to deck of the ship, uh, the ships. Uh, he uh, he. Um, uh, uh, we, we're told uh, Homer says uh, that he expected to die there. Um, but he keeps on. He, but he keeps on working, knowing that there's no option. He stands. He waits for the Trojans with his pike. He, ke- he keeps the Trojans away, and he kept up a terrible bellowing and urged on the Danaans. Friends and fighting men of the Danaans, henchmen of Ares, be men now, dear friends. Remember your furious valor. Do we think there are others who stand behind us to help us? Have we some stronger wall that can rescue men from perdition? We have no city wall built strong with towers lying near us within which we could defend ourselves and hold off this host that matches us. We hold position in this plain of the close armored Trojans, bent back against the sea and far from the land of our fathers. Salvation's light is in our hands. Work, not the mercy of battle. He spoke and came forward with his sharp spear, raging for battle. And wherever some Trojan crashed against the hollow ships with burning fire, who sought to wake the favor of Hector, Aias would wait for him and then stab with a long pike. And so, from close up, wounded twelve in front of the vessels. He expects to die. There is no hope uh, except in the in the in the in the hand in the fighting work of their hands. But he's uh, but he's he's. Uh, uh, Bellowing to encourage the men as he jumps from deck, deck, of the, deck of the ships and hold off the Trojans. But this can't last long. He can only do so much.
1: Compare this with Book 9. Compare his speech with Achilles in the, in the, toward the end of Book 9 with his speech here.
2: This is the IS we saw in Book 9. In Book 9, he basically uh, make, makes an appeal that I, I think just comes down to, come on, man, we're warriors. Get out and fight. That's your nature. That's what you're meant to do. And here he's doing just that. This is Ias showing what he, w- 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 showing the character that he refers to in Book Nine. This is what a warrior does. If he's going to go down, he's going to go down fighting and take a bunch of people with him.
1: What What really touches me is as you're reading what you've brought out for me is is his, I guess, despair. I mean, he leaves the discussion with Achilles, failing, and now in Book Fifteen yeah. he feels it's over. But this is, as you said, yeah. this is what a warrior does. And it's yeah. salvation's light is in our hands work, not the, I love the phrase, not the mercy of battle. <laughs> yeah.
2: Or even as, as one commentator pointed out, uh, is, I.S. is one of the few warriors in the book that never has the help of the gods. He always has to do it on his own. But here he is. And so salvation's work is not in, the, in their hands work or the mercy of battle or even the help of the gods. It's what we do. Pick up your sword. You know, if we go down, we go down. But this is what I do. This is what I am. This is my nature and my telos.
1: Huh. Well, then what we've got in book 15 is the problem decision, the problem being that Zeus's plan is being thwarted. And so that leads to to really there's there's. There's a. I mentioned earlier that Homer's an artist and doesn't just play. It doesn't just go problem, action, aftermath. Here he splits it in two, and I'll just mention this quickly that Hector is the one who leads this aftermath. I mean, sorry, this attack, this counterattack. And as Hector is leading the, the Trojans, Patroclus at that point rushes back to Achilles. He doesn't get there until Book 16, I think, but he's rushing back.
2: Yeah. In the beginning then, of book 16, you're rushing back, yeah. And then yeah.
1: as Patroclus goes back to Achilles, it jumps back to Hector, who's continuing his counterattack, and that leads to Ajax holding them off temporarily, and then that's that's where we are. I mean, we we have the the double-action aftermath kind of sequence, again, borrowing from Bruce Hyden, I want to give total respect here, but um, we, we've got the problem being resolved by a, by a council of the gods this time. And then there's a double action where Hector leads, and, and then the aftermath is that <laughs> the Greeks are in really big trouble. And that brings us to the end of book 15, which sets the stage for that unparalleled greatness of Book 16 through 24. Hey, I hope that we've left some... Hints that people will be able to take into the Iliad itself because I'm a big devotee of the principle that C.S. Lewis scored that if you and I right now are playing the role of teacher and we're distracting people from the Iliad instead of guiding them into it and helping them enter into it, then I have failed every bit as much as as Odysseus, Phoenix, and Aias and have. My only goal here is is to get Achilles to open the book. And if you are the Achilles in the audience that that needs to be persuaded to to read the Iliad, please read the Iliad. Don't don't I mean if you're choosing between listening to us and me talk about the Iliad and reading the Iliad yourself, stop listening and go read the book. It's it's magnificent beyond anything else you've ever read.
2: Yeah, that's an excellent point. Our whole job should be to drive people to abandon us and rush to the book.
1: Yep yep so having said that hey wes let's do this again
2: i'd like that andrew thanks for inviting me
1: you're welcome it's a pleasure okay let's let's talk about 16 to 24 next time and then we'll have covered the whole iliad didn't think you could do it in three episodes That
2: sounds like a great idea it sounds like a wonderful theory (laughs) (laughs) hey wes yeah may
1: the lord remember you in his kingdom
2: thank you andrew god be with you as well my friend